turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 4. Romans the fourth chapter. Now tonight, the Lord willing, we will have the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of baptism. I want to be speaking from Malachi, rekindling the fire of faith. Rekindling the fire of faith from the book of Malachi tonight. During the training union hour, we begin that special Bible conference. And the focus will be on Malachi and training union in the adult forum. Every age group will have something special. In the adult forum, we'll be uh, focusing on Malachi, and I hope you will not miss that first session. During this coming week, on Monday and Tuesday, Brother Roger Oldham, my brother, will be with us, <clears throat> and the focus will be on Malachi and music. And Brother Roger uh, is an apt teacher, and we'll be, we will be sharing together. I'll be speaking from Malachi, and he's going to be teaching us sight reading, music reading. And I hope you will not miss that double header this week, beginning at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night at 6, there will be a men and boys chili supper. All the men and boys are encouraged to come. I think Brother Phil Brent has agreed to fix that supper and get some others to help us with that. And keep that in mind, please. Be sure to come. On the last Sun Monday of January, we will have a mother's and daughter's banquet. And we're encouraging all the girls to come, junior and up, junior age and up, and all the ladies. And ladies, you may not have a daughter of your own. Or maybe you have two or three daughters, but you'd like to sponsor another daughter. There are some daughters that will not have their mothers coming, and so you can sponsor them and bring them to that banquet yourself and be them, have them with you. We'll have a good time. That's the last Monday of January. Now reading today from Romans the fourth chapter. The focus this morning is, is on this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Or do you have any skeletons in your closet? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the wonderful Word of God. We pray that in these next moments, the Holy Spirit will help us and give liberty. And may somebody who has never been saved come to know Christ. And may God's people rejoice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm reading from Romans, the fourth chapter. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath something of which to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now hit to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. 
even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. When I was in college, I went with a group of people to Dyersburg, Tennessee, and we were having a special session, a special service, a special singing time. And uh, one of the people in the church told us about a house near the church uh, with a garage behind it, and in that garage was a dead man. Well, that got our curiosity. And so several of us, uh, after the service was over, went down the street, went down through that yard, went to the garage and opened the garage, and lo and behold, there was a dead man. He was a mummy, and he was standing in the corner. He didn't have any clothes on. And uh, somebody gave rumor that that man had been standing there for a hundred years. And we looked at it. And some of the crowd were a little bit afraid to go in that room with that dead man that had been there for a hundred years. His body had turned. I suppose he must have been dead for much more than a hundred years because he was a mummy. And uh, you could touch and uh, you could feel the, the, that the body had become petrified. But it was intact. You could see his ears and his eyes and his nose and his feet. You could see all of his features. And I thought, that certainly is a skeleton in the closet. Only it's a mummy in the closet. And it made me wonder how many people through the years have been afraid of the skeletons in their closets. I wouldn't for anything in the world ask you to stand and testify about the skeletons in your closet. Sometimes people do that. I was in a revival meeting in Campbellsville, Kentucky a number of years ago, a campus revival. And during the invitation a young lady came and she said she wanted to say a word. Now I've learned to always ask what do you want to say? At that time I didn't know that. And so she stood up and started telling about all the skeletons in her closet. And she was not very discreet and she told everything. And I'll tell you, it was not a very pleasant experience. Nearly everybody in this room has some kind of skeleton in your closet. You don't like to talk about it. I think about Abraham who went down to Egypt and told a lie about his wife. Now that was the man that is called the father of the faithful. Abraham, one of the greatest men that ever lived, had hypocrisy and lying in his background. I think of Noah, from whom all of us have descended through Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And Noah was one of God's great men. The Bible says Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. But scarcely was the flood over 
and the ark landed on dry ground and Noah got drunk. And he was so drunk that when one of his sons came in and either thought or by suggestive action or by real action committed some kind of impure and immoral thought and thing, Noah didn't even know about it. That's a skeleton in his closet. I think about Sarah. She said one day to her husband, I have lost faith. God said we're going to have a son, but I don't know whether you can count on God or not. Here, take Hagar, my handmaiden. You can have her. She'll, she'll bear you a son. A time of faith failure in Sarah's life. I think of Moses who grew up in Pharaoh's court. And he went out one day and killed an Egyptian, a murderer. I think of Rahab. You remember Rahab put the scarlet thread in the window of Jericho. And when the children of Israel came and marched around the city, they had made a covenant, a covenant, a commitment to, to Rahab that they would not destroy her or her family if they were in that room. And Rahab became a great, 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 great grandmother, humanly speaking, of the Lord Jesus. But did you know that Rahab was a harlot? I think of David, the sweet singer of Israel. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David wrote that. But you know there came an awful time in David's life of faith failure. And David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then covered it up with a murder of Uriah. And then he told lies. That was David. Well, we could go on and on and on. I could think of Simon Peter. One of the greatest men of God that ever lived. Simon Peter cursed Jesus. I don't know very many people in this room have ever cursed Jesus. Simon Peter did. You say, preacher, why are you telling all those stories? Well, those are skeletons in people's closets. And, and frankly, if we had a testimony meeting here this morning, some of you could tell more weird and wild stories than those. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, not by the deeds of the flesh are we justified before God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I like that. Abraham believed God. And that simple belief was counted to him for righteousness. What are you depending on to get you to heaven? Are you depending on your baptism, your profession of faith, your church membership? 
I asked a lady the other day, where will you go when you die? And she said, well, I've been a good person all my life. How different that is from Miss Velma Hudson, our dear Christian friend who has gone to heaven this week. Her memorial service will be tomorrow. Ms. Bodkin said that she and, and, uh, and Mrs. Rita Plumley went to her home one day. And they had visited her. Ms. Ms. Hudson had visited our church. I had met her at a funeral some weeks before that. And while they were there, uh, they talked about many things. And Ms. Bodkin does a wise thing as a soul winner. She has a census card with her. And I want to advise every soul winner to have a census card with you. And she felt sort of embarrassed because she knew she didn't really need to take a census there. Just She just lived there by herself. So she looked down and knew that she really ought to take a census. So she started asking the questions about her birthday and so on. And then she said, and, and Mrs. Hudson had talked about going to church early in her life. And I, I talked to some of her family and when she was young, they, she was sure that they went to church. So Ms. Bodkin said, well, I don't really have to ask you this question, but I suppose, Ms. Hudson, I'm sure you're a Christian. Now listen to this. Ms. Hudson said, no, honey, just because I went to church doesn't mean I'm a Christian. She said, I've never been saved. And they led her to Jesus that day in her home. That was in 1983. She was 80 years old. <laughs> you see, you don't go to heaven because you go to church. You don't go to heaven because you've been good. We get the idea during Christmas, we mix Santa Claus with Jesus so much, and we say, now look, He's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. And if you're not a good little boy, Santa Claus won't come to see you. And immediately we transfer that over to Jesus. And we suppose, well, if I'm not a little good little boy, Jesus won't love me. And I want to tell you, Jesus loves bad little boys and girls. He loves bad men and bad women. Now, he doesn't condone their sin. But he loves. Love breaks through the sheath and the clouds of sin. And God is love. Amen. Now the word justify, we can hear in that word justify, just as if, just as if, just as if, and it sounds like just as if you had never sinned. And that's exactly what it means to be justified. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God and God counted that to him for righteousness and God declared him to be just as if he had never sinned. Who can justify? Some try to justify themselves. Very, very seldom do you find somebody doing something. Brother Jim can attest to this in the school. And I'm sure every principal can. Find somebody that uh, has done something. And you present it to him and they say, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And so-and-so uh, did that. So-and-so did that. Somebody else did it. And we try to justify ourselves. Well, it doesn't work. Before God, no man can justify himself. 
you know, others try to justify us. Ronnie Mattingly and I went to make a visit on College Street years ago. Went into this home, and the man was lost. And we sat there for about 15 or 20 minutes. Now, both of us knew how to do this, but we didn't do it. Sat there about 15 or 20 minutes trying to win that man to the Lord. And every time we'd get a word in about how awful it is to be lost and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that dear, wonderful lady would say, but you don't know my husband. He's a good man. He's a good man. Others do a lot of things, but this man, oh, you just don't know him. Finally, I said, uh, could I get a drink of water, please? Now, those of you who are soul winners know what that means. And she said, why, yes, it's right back there in the kitchen. I said, I'm afraid I can't find the way. Would you please go and find a glass and help me get a drink of water? We got back in that back room. Lonnie led the man to Jesus, and I led that lady to Jesus. We would never have led either one of them to the Lord in the front room because she was justifying her husband. If you've got a husband or a wife who is lost, if you've got a son or a daughter who is lost, don't talk about how good they are. Before God, they are not good. They are wicked. They are sinful and on their way to hell. And the Bible says the only way on earth for a man to be justified is for God to do something. Amen. What does it mean to be justified? Well, sometimes we take the word justify and we say, well, that's from two Latin words that mean to make just or righteous. But that really doesn't satisfy the New Testament definition. The word justify is a legal term. And it means to declare righteous or just. To declare righteous. It doesn't mean that a man is justified because he is justified or because he justifies himself or because he's good or because he's righteous. The only way any of us can be justified and have the skeletons in our closets erased and eradicated and covered is for God to pronounce us just as if we had never sinned. Now how does God do that? Justification does not deal with a man's conduct or his condition. It deals with his relationship. Justification means three things. First of all, it means forgiveness or a pardon. In Psalm 103, turn in your Bible to Psalm 103 and look at this just a moment with me. Verse 10, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. You see, justification involves forgiveness, which means that God remits or puts away our sin. He takes it away. He does it. We don't do it. He does it. It means to put that sin behind his back. It means to put that sin as far as the east is from the west. It means to cast it into the sea of God's forgetfulness. 
It means to wash it and make it as white as the snow. Isaiah 1.18, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So justification first means forgiveness or a pardon. You've all heard the story of the man who committed a terrible crime. He was in prison, in death row, waiting to go to the electric chair. And someone interceded with the governor at the very 11th hour. And the governor wrote out a pardon. The warden went down to the prison and handed to the prisoner the reprieve, the pardon. And the prisoner looked at the pardon. He looked at the warden. He said, I don't want that. And the warden said, this is a pass to freedom. The governor has pardoned you, but you have to accept it. I don't want it. They went back to the governor. The governor called a quick session of the Supreme Court of that state, and the Supreme Court said, a pardon is invalid if it is not accepted. When Jesus went to the cross, he earned a pardon for all of our sins. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus has already earned that. And for these 2,000 years, preachers have been going all around the world offering pardon, offering purpose, offering peace. But that pardon has to be accepted. I think that's where the term have you accepted Jesus as your Savior comes from. It may not be the best term, but it is a term that describes have you accepted the pardon that Christ has already earned for you. If you have, your sins are forgiven. They're washed as white as the snow. Secondly, justification not only means a pardon, but listen to this. And here's where many of us fall short. Justification means a restoration. You're restored to a place of honor. Now sometimes, even in church life and in Christian life, someone will commit some sin. And then he'll repent. And he'll ask God to forgive. Maybe even come to the church and say, Church, will you forgive? And the church says, Yes, we'll forgive. But we do not restore him to a place of honor. Jesus does. Amen. That's what Jesus does. Do you know the story of the, we call it the prodigal son? The man who went out in the hog pens of life and wasted his living and wasted his father's substance and wasted it all. And he came one day and he said, uh, back home, my father's hired servants have it better than I do. I'm going to rise and go. And I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned. Let me be like a hired servant. And he started home. And this book says, while he was a great way off, that father was out looking. I guess he went out every day and he looked and he looked. And there in the distance, he saw a familiar figure. And the man got closer and closer. Oh, he said, that's my son. And he ran and received his son. That son had wasted the substance of his daddy with harlots and with wasted living. 
but his daddy received him. What did he do? They went back home and the daddy said, kill the fatted cow. Let's get everything ready. Bring the gold raiment. Put rings on his finger. This my son was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. The father restored him to a place of honor. Now I want to tell you that's what happens when you get justified. Just as if you had never sinned in God's sight. Your sins are forgiven. You're pardoned. And secondly, you are restored to a place of honor. And thirdly, you're adopted. Look in Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. Turn in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. And look at verses 15, 16, and 17. Romans 8, 15, 16, and 17. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. So justification involves a forgiveness, a pardon, a restoration to honor, and the adoption into the family of God, your God's adopted son. In our family, family circle, we've had several people who were adopted. My brother Robert has an adopted daughter. My, my niece has an adopted daughter. And when they were younger, I used to say to them, you know, you're very, very special to your mother and daddy. They could have gone all over the world and adopted this person, this person, or this person, but they decided to adopt you. You're very precious and special to them. That's what Jesus did. He adopted you and me into his family. So that we're joint heirs with Jesus. What is his is ours. And one day when all the enemies have been put as the footstool before the Lord, and the Lord Jesus is elevated to be King and Lord, the Bible says we shall reign with Him. Why? Because we're good? No. Because we've done certain good things? No. Because we got baptized the right way? No. Because we joined the right church? No. But because we have been declared just by the judicial act of God. So what is the definition of, ju of justification? The judicial act of God by which he declares that a man is free from the consequences of his sin and restored to favor with God and received into the family of God. The hurt is healed. The scar is removed. A holy relationship is established. I will tell you that's shouting grounds. Now let me ask you this and I'll close. How can a man be justified? The scripture says that Abraham was justified by faith. Justification is not in the righteousness of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not justified because God is righteous. That would make us condemned. 
The only way a man can be saved is to compare himself with Jesus. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference. I said to a man the other night in witnessing. I said, if the Lord were right here in this room and somebody would say, Richard, are you as good as Jesus? I'd have to say no. And he said, what? I said, what about you? And he thought a few minutes. And he started to say, well, I don't know. And then it dawned on him what I was saying. And he said, do you mean, am I as good as Jesus? I said, yes. Oh, he said, no, I'm not as good as Jesus. And there's the point. You see, there's not one girl or boy among the primaries today who is as good as Jesus. Not one. Not one among the juniors who is as good as Jesus. Not one in the choir. Not one in the congregation. Not one in the radio audience who is as good as Jesus. We've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. The righteousness of God condemns us. It is not in the holiness of God. The holiness of God condemns us. He is holy and we are unholy. We are impure. Justification is in the love of God. The love of God. In Romans chapter 5 verse 9. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not by works, but by grace. Roland Hill was an auctioneer. He was a Christian auctioneer. He said one day, to a group of people he was witnessing to. He said, these auctioneers have trouble getting you up to their price. <laughs> if you went to the sale down of the arts building, you know what that means. The auctioneer has you trouble getting you up to his price. He said, I have trouble getting you down to my price. Because the price of justification has already been paid. It's free. Charles Spurgeon used to say, if the price for justification were a million dollars, I'd have some people trying to get a million dollars so they could be sure they're going to heaven. He said, if the price for justification were walking a hundred miles, I'd have people walking a hundred miles so they could go to heaven. He said, if the price for justification were a special trip to Jerusalem, we'd have long lines of people who'd want to go to Jerusalem to get justified. But he said, uh, justification is free, and we offer it, and people pass it by. We're saved by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and that belief was counted to him for righteousness. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe God? Do you believe God? Really? Okay. Now here's what God says. God says we've all sinned. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room has sinned. Every primary, every junior, all of us have sinned. Everybody over here, you've sinned and you've come short of the glory of God. Everybody here. And God says the wages of that sin is death in hell. Forever separated from God. You're going to be lost in hell forever, young man, if you don't trust Jesus, see? Lost forever. That's an awful thing to be lost. And God says, 
The only way for our sins to be eradicated and to be forgiven is for us to put our trust and faith in what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And when we come to the point where we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus is a Savior. And I want to invite Him to come into my heart. He'll come in and forgive and save. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And you can be declared by judicial act of God just as if you had never sinned. Not because you've never sinned. Not because you turn over a new leaf. Not because you say, I'm never going to sin again, but because of what Jesus did. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now I want to ask, is there anybody here who needs to be justified? It's free. The price has already been paid. But here's your part. The Bible says, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friend, that's two sides of one coin. I have a, a quarter. On one side is an eagle. On the other side is a picture of George Washington. Now, this quarter would not be spendable if one side was blank. It has to have both sides on it. It has to have the emblem of the eagle and the emblem of George Washington for it to be spendable. Your life must contain repentance toward God. That is a willingness to turn away from sin and turn to Christ. And then a faith that Jesus has already paid all the price for your sin. Amen. And when you trust Jesus like that, that's getting saved. And then God, with His great stamp of eternity, stamps down on your name, justified by the blood. Amen. Just as if you had never sinned, because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for this great time in the house of the Lord. For this wonderful truth that with feeble, feeble, feeble steps and trembling lips we've tried to give this morning. We pray that somebody will be, be, have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. We know that unless He does the convicting, nobody will get saved. We pray that someone here, the Holy Spirit, would move and touch that life and draw them to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. What song? 252, please. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. 252. Now listen to God's invitation. Would you today, would you today just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But I would ask the Lord Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me. I want to repent of sin and put my faith in Christ. If you'll do that, He'll save you today. Somebody here may already have been saved, but somehow you've been out of joint with God and maybe not close fellowship with Him. You need to come and recommit your life to Christ. Maybe somebody needs to move your membership to this church to serve the Lord here.
or to rededicate your life. Whatever God says to you, do it. While we wait just a moment as we sing the first stanza, Christians pray that someone will come to Christ.